0: to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and we are continuing our journey through the book of Matthew and today we are looking at the next section of Matthew chapter 6 Sermon on the Mount and Jesus has just given all of his followers and disciples the Lord's Prayer and then we get to verse 16 and he says moreover so I think that that's there's a great deal in that first word. Moreover, uh, I'll let you think about that. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure, disfigure their faces that they may appear to be fasting. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. Um, wow. Jesus has already said, hey, uh, don't do good deeds. In front of people, otherwise you'll get your reward now and not in heaven. Don't pray so that other people can hear your prayer, otherwise you'll get a reward here and now in heaven. And now he says, don't fast so that other people can see you, otherwise you'll get your reward here and not in heaven. And Jesus here is speaking about the fundamentals of a spiritual life in his kingdom. As a disciple, okay, this is a reminder. He's teaching people how to become disciplined followers of his. He knew that they wanted to follow him. He wasn't sure whether they wanted to exercise the discipline to do what he told them to do, which is all that giving, praying, fasting. Jesus is assuming that his followers would fast. The Old Testament commanded fasting, uh, on the Day of Atonement, Le- Leviticus chapter 16, Leviticus 23, Numbers 29. During the exile of the children of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, expanded this practice of fasting. You can read about that in Zechariah chapter 7 and chapter 8. Adam Clark says this. A fast is termed by the Greeks, N-S-T-I-V. So <laughs> N-H-S-T-I-V. From the N-H, meaning not, and Es to eat. Hence, fast means a total abstinence from food for a certain time. Adam Clark, abstaining from flesh and doing fleshly things and just living on fish and vegetables for a period of time. That is not a fast. Fasting is something good that was corrupted by the hypocrisy of the religious people of Jesus' day. And that's what happens is our corrupt natures can corrupt something good and turn it into something bad. And a modern day example of a good thing that's gone bad is the way that people, for example, how they dress when they go to church. There's nothing wrong with dressing nicely to go to church on a Sunday. Uh, it can be good as an expression of reverence. But if it's used to compete with other people on what you're wearing and what brands you're wearing and, and showing off to other people and drawing attention to yourself, then something that was good and had a good intent has now become something bad. Uh, that's an example David Guzik gives, and I love it. Spurgeon said, Fasting took a leading place in devotion under the law, and it might profitably be practiced even more now under the gospel. So he says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocritical scribes and the Pharisees wanted to make sure, like everything else they did, that everybody was watching them. So they'd have this sad f- face and countenance. They're like, oh, I'm, you know, it's that whole look of like, so how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Just I'm fasting, fasting right now, just getting closer to God. Just just me and God, just the heavenly father. You know, I'm just just drawing myself in, you know, there's um, <laughs> people I know, that's how they fast now. Um, you, you go, you, you like, if you're in a fast, don't accept to go out to lunch with somebody. You know, somebody says, "Do you want to go out for lunch?" Don't, don't say, "Yeah, sure," and then sit there in front of them, going, "No, no, 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 you eat, you eat." I'm just, uh, just, um, uh, no, I can't even tell you why, because I'm, I'm not allowed to. But you know, I, I'm not eating, so I guess that's, that's enough for you to know what I'm doing, because I'm so righteous. I just God and eye like that. Um, just don't do that. This is the whole point of what Jesus is talking about. Uh, the Pharisees. Now, remember, the Pharisees had a lot of good qualities. Okay, they fasted twice a week, Luke chapter 18. Thursday, Monday, which was actually about the, in reference to when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments and when he came back down three days later. So that's why they did that. Uh, when hypocrites receive the, the admiration from men for these spiritual efforts. Then again, that's the only reward you're ever going to get. Martin Lloyd Jones said, ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may be pleased. D.A. Carson, uh, is, is giving us an understanding here of what we are meant to be doing. What are we meant to be doing before men? Let me read to you verse 17 and 18 before I tell you about that. Verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Same thing for giving, same thing for praying and now the same thing for fasting. And D.A. Carson says oil does not here symbolize extravagant joy of the use of oil, but just normal body care. In other words, do and look, do what you would normally do, look the way you would normally look, and then it's just between you and God. You don't look any different. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The ancient Greek more literally says, "Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth." So the idea is that earthly treasure is something that's temporary. It fades away. Moth and rust can destroy it, okay? Thieves can break in and steal it. Heavenly treasure secure. Nobody can steal it, doesn't rust. The issue isn't that having earthly treasures here is bad. Remember, he's just talked about don't do this, this, and this. Don't, don't pray, don't give, don't fast, with, just so other people, you know, for the motives of, of trying to impress other people. So the treasures on earth are not intrinsically bad, but they're no ultimate value either in eternity. And, and so if that's the case, then it's wrong for the disciple, the follower of discipline, follower of Jesus to, to dedicate our lives to only expanding our earthly treasure, because that means we're just caring about ourselves and about what other people think. Um, to lay up for yourselves treasure on earth is also basically to doom yourself to a life of eternal frustration and emptiness that can never be satisfied. The apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment brings great gain. It's almost like an oxymoron. We don't, godliness with contentment brings gain. So if I'm content, that's how I gain. Okay. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, the master does not say it is wrong to possess earthly treasure. He does say it is wrong to lay it up for yourself, though. We are to hold it as stewards. See, don't do this with your earthly treasure. Hold it like this. In contrast, heavenly treasures are everlasting. They're incorruptible. Treasures in heaven actually do give enjoyment now. And how do they give you enjoyment now? In the contentment that you have for your eternity and the sense of well-being that comes from knowing that you are giving the way God wants you to give. Ultimately, our enjoyment comes from the other side of eternity, place that we're not living in right now Guzik says this it has been wisely observed that a moving truck full of possessions never follows a hearse at a funeral Everything one might take with them to the world beyond is left behind. The pharaohs of Egypt were buried with gold and treasures to take into the afterlife, but they left it all behind. Even further, though gold is a precious thing on earth, God uses it to only pave the streets of heaven. <laughs> That's how, how how worthless gold is in heaven. God uses it as, uh, as a way to make roads. My grandfather, William Robert Hawkins, had a great quote for this. He used to say, when we leave this place, we leave what we have and we take who we are. Jesus told a parable once that actually has troubled some people. And it's from Luke chapter 16, where he speaks about a dishonest manager, somebody who has been dishonestly managing the affairs of the person he worked for. And he was... Notified that he was going to be called to account for his dishonesty. So knowing that he was going to be fired, what he did is he started to settle accounts for his master, with his master's debtors at terms that were very favorable to the debtors so that they would treat him kindly after the master had fired him. And the master ends up complimenting the manager for his very shrewd tactics, presumably before he actually fired him. And and this dishonest manager ended up being praiseworthy for two reasons. One, he knew that he was going to be a call to account for his life and he took it seriously and did something about it. And secondly, he took advantage of his present position to arrange for himself a comfortable future. It is That's actually what we can do right now. We can use our material resources right now for eternal good, even though we can't bring them with us. There's a lot in that parable. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus drew the conclusion that you can only have your treasure and your heart in one place. They cannot be in two places. You cannot store and have your heart uh, focused around treasure here on earth and in heaven at the same time. R.T. France It is not so much the disciples' wealth that Jesus is concerned with as his loyalty. Materialism is in direct conflict with loyalty to God. Verse 22. The lamp. Now, moving on to another topic. Can you imagine just trying to take notes at this Sermon on the Mount? This would have been amazing. It's so, like, okay, new topic. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus moves on here to the idea that light comes into the body through the eye. If our eyes were blind, then we would live in a dark world. But if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And the idea of having a good eye is either being generous or being single-minded. Both principles apply to a disciple's attitude towards Material things, R.T. France. There seems to be a deliberate double entendre here with hapless taking up not only the theme of undivided loyalty, but also that of detachment from material concern, hence of generosity. Being generous brings light into our lives. We're happier, we're more content when we have God's heart of generosity. But if we are not generous, then it's as if your whole body is full of darkness. Our selfish, miserly ways cast darkness over everything that we think or do. Being single-minded is something that also brings light to our lives. We're happier, we're more content if we focus single-mindedly on the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, knowing that all the material things will be added unto us. Matthew 6, we're about to get to that, verse 33. But when we're double-minded, it's as if your whole body is full of darkness. We try to live for two masters at the same time and it puts a dark shadow over everything in our lives. Jesus tells us that our eye is either directed at heavenly things or which would make it full of light or it's directed at earthly things and therefore it's full of darkness. Adam Clark. An evil eye was a phrase in use among the ancient Jews to denote an envious, covetous man or disposition, a man who repined at his neighbor's prosperity, loved his own money, and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. How great is that darkness? Jesus ends this verse on. How great. Building on the analogy of the eye, Jesus reminds us that if we are blind in our eyes, then our whole body is blind the darkness is then very great in our whole body and i use that term very great as an unusual way to put it you know obviously it's great but we need to understand the weight of that the the, the totality of light or the totality of darkness they cannot coexist In the the same way, our attitude towards material treasure is either going to bring light into our life or it's going to bring darkness. This is how Jesus is tying these two subjects together. So then he moves on to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Having two masters is like trying to work two jobs, keep two people happy. Jesus had the master and slave relationship in mind here, and no slave could ever serve two masters. Jesus states that serving two masters is a simple impossibility. If you think that you are successfully serving two masters, you're just deceived. It can't be done. Ancient Israel struggled with idolatry. They thought they could worship the Lord God and Baal. And God constantly reminded them that to worship Baal was to forsake the Lord God. To be loyal to the one is to despise the other. And, and what Jesus is saying here is, listen, don't serve your money. Let your money serve the Lord and then it will serve you because you can't serve God and mammon. Now, there are very different opinions about the origin of the word mammon, okay? Some think it was the name of a pagan god. Others think that it comes from the Hebrew aman, A-M-A-N which means to trust and confide, because men are apt to trust and confide in riches. William Clark says this. Um, but whatever its origin, the meaning is very clear. Mammon... Mammon is materialism. It is about only wanting things for the sake of having them. Now, according to RT France, the idea of mammon itself was morally neutral. Okay, what does that mean? Mammon itself represents material things that we possess or want, and those things can be used for God's kingdom and God's glory, or They can be used as idols. Jesus here is talking about our heart. Many people would say that they love God, but the way that they use their money would reflect that actually they don't love God. Um, You can tell who or what you are serving with a very simple test. If you will sacrifice for the sake of money, but you will not sacrifice for the sake of Jesus Christ and the sake of God's will for your life, then don't deceive yourself. Money is your God. We must remember that we don't have to be rich to serve mammon, which is money and material things. It's the spirit of mammon that comes over us. That's what materialism is. The poor can be just as greedy and just as covetous as a rich person can be. This applies to everybody. Verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Do not worry. Listen, we we can never give ourselves permission to get tangled up in worry about the things of this world, because our life is more than those things. Jesus said, do not worry. The apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, do not be anxious for anything. We've been told this, and yet we don't listen to it. We are determined to worry. We want to call ourselves a worrier. Is this that makes us some kind of noble person? No, it makes you a disobedient disciple is what it makes you. If you you cannot be a warrior and be a disciple of Jesus Christ at the same time, can't happen. You're deceiving yourself. Jesus said, "If you are a disciple, do not worry." Adam Clark Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, or what clothes. These three inquiries engross the whole attention of those who are living without God in the world. The belly and the back of a worldling are his compound God, and these he worships in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and in the pride of life. See, when Jesus said, do not worry, there's a difference between a godly sense of responsibility and an untrusting, ungodly worry. But an ungodly, untrusting sense of worry usually masquerades as a sense of responsibility. Well, I'm just concerned because I have to do these things and I have this responsibility, so therefore I must worry about them. No, Spurgeon said, You cannot say that Jesus Christ ever troubled his head about what he should eat, what he should drink. His meat and his drink consisted in doing his Father's will. We are to be concerned with the right things. The ultimate issues of life. And then we leave the management of the issues of life to God, to our Heavenly Father. That's a very simple recipe. Life is more than just food. The worry that Jesus spoke of, it, it, it debases, Guzik says this, it, de, it spoke of debases man to the level of an animal who is merely concerned with physical needs. Your life is more, and you have eternal matters to pursue. Verse 26. This is an amazing passage. This I'm going to read verse 26 through to verse 30 here. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not? of more value than they. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit? That's 18 inches to your structure, to your stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither they toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies of the field. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? (laughs) Uh, God provides for the birds, He takes care of them. Therefore, we should expect that God will take care of us. But also note, Jesus said the birds aren't worrying, but they do work. Birds don't just sit around with open mouths waiting for God to drop food in them. Mm. I'm not worrying, but I'm also not doing anything. No, you're meant to not worry, but actually do something. D.A. Carson, God is so sovereign over the universe that even the feeding of a bird falls within his concern. Uh, the worry that many people have over material things of life is often rooted in a low understanding of their own value before God. They don't comprehend comprehend how much God actually loves them and cares for them. You you can uh, accomplish nothing through worry. You can't add one thing to your life. Uh, Look, there's, there's sins, I'm sure, that are higher up the scale than worry. But there are none that are more self-defeating and useless in our lives. All they do is shorten your life. Worry and anxiety shortens your life. Watch YouTube videos on people who've lived to 100. Ask them what their secrets are. Almost universally, they'll tell you that they never worried. They're just like, oh, I just enjoyed life, whatever. At least whether they're Christians or not. They're just people, they just, yep, It's it's universal. And yet, we do things that take away from our days. God clothes the grass of the field, and so he will certainly take care of us. We should be confident in the power of a caring and loving God. You have little faith, Spurgeon said this, Little faith is not a little fault, for it greatly wrongs the Lord and sadly grieves the fretful mind to think the Lord who clothes the lilies will leave his own children naked is shameful. O oh, little faith, learn better manners." I would have loved to have sat in Spurgeon's sermons. That would have been amazing. Verse 31, let's get to the end here. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows what you need and that you need all these things. We're invited to know a freedom from the worry and anxiety that comes from an undue concern about material things. And and we can reflect the same kind of heart that Matthew Henry showed when he said the following after being robbed. This is Matthew Henry wrote it, what the most famous Bible commentary hundreds of years ago. I use it all the time. And he wrote this, he was robbed. And he said, Lord, I thank you that I've never been robbed before. That although they took my money, they spared my life. That although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And that it was I who was robbed, not I who was robbing. See, there's always a positive spin on every situation. Jesus contrasted the life of those who do not know God and are separated from Him with those who do know God and receive His loving care. Those who know God should seek after other things. And then He goes on, those classic lines, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. This has to be the rule of our lives when ordering our priorities, but it's wrong to think that this is just another priority to put in our list of priorities. No, this should be at the top of every priority list. Seek first the kingdom of God. We don't choose between honoring God and loving our wives, okay? We honor God and seek first the kingdom of God by being a good husband. We don't choose between honoring God and honoring our husbands, Loving our husbands? No, we seek first God and His kingdom, and then we honor our husbands. We honor our neighbors, we honor our friends, our co-workers, our relatives, all at the same time. Remember the, the context of what Jesus is making this statement here. He reminds us that our physical well-being—it's not a worthy object to actually devote our lives to. And if you think it is worthy, then God is you know, your, your God is Mammon. Material things, your life is cursed with worry and, and you will live like an animal concerned mostly with physical needs. That's what Jesus is talking about. Guzik, Jesus didn't just tell them to stop worrying them or worrying, he told them to replace worry with a concern for the kingdom of God. A habit or a passion can only be given up for a greater habit or a greater passion. RT France, what this verse demands is therefore a commitment to find and to do the will of God. To ally oneself totally with His purpose, and this commitment must come first. If you put God's kingdom first, and don't think that your physical well-being is a worthy object of your uh, of your life in order to live for, then you can enjoy all these things. God promises heavenly treasure, rest in divine provision, fulfillment of God's higher purpose for man, which is fellowship with God. And being a part of his kingdom, so, which means we have to make a choice to seek first the kingdom of God. It's the fundamental choice every Christian must make when they first repent and accept the gift of salvation. And every day after that, our, our lives will either reinforce that commitment to seek first his kingdom or it will deny our commitment to seek first his kingdom. And Jesus then goes on and finishes This part of the sermon, he says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. (laughs) Uh, I think Jesus was trying to make some kind of like a almost like desperate point. Listen, if you're going to worry, at least just worry about the things of today. Okay. But don't be worrying about tomorrow. Uh, Most of our worry is over things that we have absolutely no control over. And it's foolish, it's harmful. And Jesus reminds us of the importance of living for the present day, not the things that you can't control. Now, it isn't wrong to remember the past or plan for the future. Uh, Both of those things are good, but it's easy to become too focused on the good old days or the future plans and goals that we've got that we have no idea how we're going to hit because they're our goals, they're not God's. Let the day and its own trouble be something that God is involved in. God wants us to remember the past. He wants us to plan for the future, but he wants us to live in the future. And I see too many Christians in my observation today who are content to be warriors, as if that makes them more caring than the rest of us. No, it makes you an insulter of God himself. So stop it. It's not God telling you to worry. God is never whispering in your ear, you should worry about this. You should, aren't you worried? That's never going to be God. It's always the voice of the devil. And you can't serve two masters. So why are you listening to the voice of the devil? Because if God's telling you to never worry, then you're choosing to worry. You are choosing to listen to the voice of the devil over the voice of God. That is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is you think you know better than God. And you don't, and I don't. So if Jesus himself tells us not to worry, then we should not worry. We are faced with the same choice that Joshua had to make. In Joshua 24, choose you this day whom you will serve. Who who are you going to serve? You and I have to choose who we're going to serve. Are we serving God? Are we serving Jesus? Are we living for him and, and following his commandments for us as disciples? Choose Choose. I want to pray for you right now. Those of you who are struggling to choose. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for every person today. And they're just struggling to choose between worry and the things of this world, God, because uh, they don't know how to fully place their trust in, in the fact that you will supply all their needs according to riches in glory. Philippians chapter 4. And I pray, Lord, that you, you Jesus, you told us, hey, listen, I'm taking care of the birds. I'm taking care of the lilies of the field. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? I pray, Lord, that their worries for the things that are out of their control, God, will just be just evaporated right now and there will be a trust in seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.